2: depths of the Australian bush a killer stalked his prey, young backpackers hitchhiking through the wilderness. For years he eluded the authorities leaving a trail of bodies in his wake. Who was this mysterious killer and what drove him to commit such heinous crimes? Chilling frills, unexplained mysteries and creepy stories that actually occurred. Welcome to Freakier Than Fiction, I'm your host, Chad, and each episode, as you know, together we will dive into the world of the unknown. So, if that kind of thing interests you and you haven't done this already, hit that follow or subscribe button, and that way you won't miss the next freaky episode. As this podcast is intended for mature audiences, discretion is advised, especially for this episode, as some may find the following case quite disturbing. In this case, we're going to delve into the dark and twisted world of Ivan Milat and uncover the shocking truth behind one of Australia's most notorious crimes, the Backpacker Murders. This week, we also have some very special guests from the podcast All the Sins of Wisconsin. It's a pleasure to welcome Mims and Fallon to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for joining me, girls. Hi. <laughs> Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on board. Uh, tell, tell my listeners a little bit about yourselves and um, about the podcast and, and what sort of got you guys uh, interested in, in podcasting and true crime. Oh, that is a
1: loaded question, I feel like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess speaking for myself um I've been always kind of morbid I've always liked like horror movies and um I remember when I was like 12 I I read the book um on the it was called Helter Skelter and it was about the uh, Charlie Manson family and I should not have been reading it that young um (laughs) but that's basically the door that opened for me Uh, I don't know about you Fallon
0: Um, I have been obsessed with true crime since I was really young like watching Inside Edition with my mom at like five years old probably like just obsessed with the law and cases and mysteries I love a good mystery
1: yeah and our podcast I'm so sorry go ahead you go ahead uh, basically our podcast is true crime based uh, for Wisconsin in the United States um, yeah that's basically it
2: <laughs> that's basically it and have you two ever heard about the backpacker murders that happened in in the Australia no I have not okay so you, you've never heard this story before no all right, well, uh, I guess we should should get into it then, shall we? Yeah. Sh- yep. All right, no worries. So the backpacker murders occurred between 1989 and 1992 in the Belango State Forest in New South Wales of Australia. It's a planted forest, mainly of pine trees, but there are some native forestry around the edges, and it's about a 30-minute drive to the nearest town of Barrow. The victims in this story were seven young backpackers, mostly European tourists who were hitchhiking or camping in the forest. The murders were particularly brutal, involving abduction, sexual assault, torture, and murder before the victims were buried in shallow graves. To begin, we'll discuss the victims themselves. And I apologise if I uh, mispronounce any of their names because they're. European and quite hard, but their names were Deborah Everest, James Gibson, Simone Schmiedel, Anya Habsheed, Gabar Neugbauer, Joanne Walters, and Caroline Clark. They were all backpackers who had been traveling together or were traveling solo around Australia. Each victim had their own story and background, but they were all young, adventurous, and looking to explore the world. I feel like this is relatable to everyone who's young. They wanna go out and uh, see the world and, and explore it. And I, I think Australia is one of those places that a lot, a lot of people like to come to and uh, and see. I'm not sure about how that resonates with you girls, but- um, Australia me, do, seems
0: yeah. like a great adventure.
2: Yeah. It's a great yeah. adventure to come here and, and see things. Um, so yeah, they're, they're all young adventurists and just, and just looking to explore the world before, I guess, going back home and, and starting their lives. So um, on the 19th of September, 1992, two runners discovered a concealed corpse while orienteering in the Belango State Forest. The following morning, police discovered a second body about 30 metres or 100 feet away from the first one. The police quickly confirmed via dental records that the bodies were those of Clark and Walters. Joanne Walters had been stabbed 15 times, four times in the chest, once in the neck and nine times in the back, which would have paralyzed her. Caroline Clark had been shot 10 times in the head at the burial site and police believe that she'd been used as target practice. after thoroughly searching yeah so that's it's pretty brutal as i said um so after thoroughly searching the forest investigators ruled out the possibility of further discoveries within the belango state forest so those were the uh the first two victims Uh, in october of 1993 a local man searching for firewood discovered bones in a particularly remote section of the forest he returned with police to the scene where two bodies were quickly discovered and later identified as James Gibson and Deborah Everest. Uh, Gibson's skeleton was found in the fetal position showing eight stab wounds. A large knife had cut through his upper spine cause of, causing paralysis and stab wounds to his back and chest would have punctured his heart and lungs. Everest had been savagely beaten, her skull was fractured in two places, her jaw was broken, and there was knife marks on her forehead. She'd been stabbed once in the back. The presence of Gibson's body in the Belangio Belangio, uh, puzzled investigators, as his camera had been previously discovered on the 31st of December, and his backpack later on the 13th of March the next year by the side of the road at Galston Gorge, which was in the northern Sydney suburbs of over 120 kilo- kilometres or 75 miles to the to the north. Uh, so do you have any thoughts about or theories about these developments so far, like why would he, the guy's camera and backpack be disposed so far apart or anything like that come to mind about? So far,
0: it seems like maybe the killer was still on the move and tossed them out somewhere, or they found them in a separate place and killed them in a different place.
1: Yeah, I think definitely. of it as like maybe trying to create maybe some sort of like diversion, like just to make it not as easy to figure out what had happened.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Also, another talking point is this set of murders are nearly a a year apart from one another as well, which I think is an interesting fact. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely.
2: Okay. Um, So on the 1st of November in 1993, a skeleton was found in a clearing along a fire trail in the forest during a police sweep. It was later identified as that of Simone Schmidl and bore at least eight stab wounds. Two had severed her spine and others would have punctured her heart and lungs. Wow. The clothing found at the scene was not Simone's but actually matched that of another missing backpacker, which was Anya Habshid. And the bodies of Anya Habshid and Gabe Nugbauer were then found on a nearby fire trail on the 4th of November, so just a couple of days later, 1993, in shallow graves, about 50 metres or 160 feet apart. Um, Anya had been decapitated and despite an extensive search, her skull was never found. Gabe had been shot in the head six times and there was evidence that some of the victims had not died instantly from their injuries. That's very gruesome. Uh, Yeah, that really sucks. Uh, So their deaths were particularly tragic, as they were brutally murdered while pursuing their dreams. Their families and loved ones were left to grieve their loss and struggled to make sense of the senseless violence that took their lives. now it's time to get into the background of Ivan. So Ivan Milat's story starts long before his killing spree in the Belango State Forest. He was born on December the 27th, 1944, in Guildford, a suburb of Sydney, Australia. He was the fourth of 14 children in his family, mm. and his childhood was marked by poverty and violence. So not a great start to his life. Right. So according to reports, Malat was often subjected to physical and emotional abuse by his father, who was an alcoholic and a violent man. His mother, on the other hand, was described as a kind and caring woman who worked hard to provide for her large family. Uh, As a child, Malat was known to be a troublemaker and had a habit of stealing. He dropped out of school at the age of 15 and became involved in petty crimes, including burglary and car theft. He was also known to have a violent streak and had several run-ins with the law. In 1971, he was arrested for the first time on charges of robbery and theft. He was sentenced to six years in prison and was released in 1974. However, he was arrested again in 1975 for armed robbery and served another prison term. So already in trouble with the law at quite a young age. And uh, I think you can see where things are going. Mm -hmm. Mm Right, yeah. Um, So after his release from prison, Ivan lived relatively a quiet life for several years. He worked odd jobs and lived with his mother and siblings in a house in southwest Sydney. However, in the late 1980s, he began to exhibit strange and erratic behaviour. He became very reclusive and he also became very withdrawn and was known to have a fascination with guns and hunting. And I want to have you two girls make a note of that because there's something later on that I'll be discussing where something will come up <laughs> so take okay note of that. noted uh in 1989 Molat's killing spree began he lured backpackers to the Belengo State Forest where he would torture and kill them over the next two years Molat continued to kill he targeted young backpackers mostly from Europe and used various methods to kill him, kill them, sorry, uh, including stabbing, shooting, and strangulation. All the bodies of his victims were found buried in shallow graves in the Belango State Forest. Eventually, one person managed to escape from a And this was a man by the name of Paul Onions. He was a 24-year-old British backpacker who arrived in Sydney in January of 1990. On January the 25th, he hitchhiked to the town of Barrel where he was then picked up by Ivan Malat. Paul became very suspicious of Malat's behavior almost immediately. At the time, Ivan was driving a car that belonged to a missing British backpacker and there was also a large knife on the dashboard of the car. As they drove towards the Belango State Forest, Malat began to act more and more erratically. He asked Onions if he had any money and then pulled off the road and stopped the car. He told Paul to get out, but when Paul reached for his backpack, Malat attacked him with a knife. He managed to escape running into the woods and flagged down a passing car. Paul Onions reported this incident to the police, but at that time, the police were not aware of the connection between Malat and the missing backpackers. It wasn't until several months later on, when the bodies of two backpackers were discovered in the State Forest, that police began to suspect that a serial killer was at large. Paul O'Nions was eventually contacted by the Australian police who asked him to come back to Australia to identify Ivan Milat as his attacker. So he got on a plane, flew back to Australia and identified Ivan in a lineup. His testimony was instrumental in the trial as it established Ivan's connection to the murders. After Ivan Milat's conviction, Paul O'Nions returned to England and resumed his life. However, he struggled with the trauma of the attack and the knowledge that he could have easily become one of Ivan Milat's victims. In 2012, he gave an interview in which he spoke about the experience and the immense impact that it had on his life. The bravery of Paul Onions escaping from Ivan Milat and reporting the incident to the police ultimately led to the capture and conviction of one of Australia's most notorious serial killers. His testimony was crucial in establishing Ivan Malat's guilt and his actions helped to prevent further deaths at the hands of a brutal and dangerous killer. Um, so after the extensive investigation, Malat was eventually arrested in May of 1994 and charged with the several murders. He, of course, maintained his innocence through the trial, which began in 1996, but the evidence against him was overwhelming. In particular, the prosecution relied heavily on the testimony of Malat's own family members who had reported suspicious behaviour and statements by the accused, as well as uh, the testimony of Paul Onions. In July of 96, Ivan Malat was found guilty on all counts and sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. The trial lasted for 15 weeks and had been one of the longest and most expensive in Australian legal history at that time. The Malat case has had a significant impact on the Australian society at the time, as it revealed the dark underbelly of backpacker culture and the risks faced by young travelers who set out on adventures in unfamiliar places. The murders were wildly covered in the media, both in Australia and around the world, and generated a great deal of public interest and speculation. Today, the legacy of the Malat case lives on in a number of ways. The murders have been subject of numerous books, documentaries, and films. And uh, one film that you girls may have watched and is pretty much heavily influenced by this story is uh, Wolf Creek. I'm not sure if you girls have seen the movie Wolf Creek, but um, a lot of inspiration for Wolf Creek came from um, the Ivan Milat case.
0: I haven't heard of that. I'll have to check Me it out. Me neither. I'm very interested. You
2: know, yeah, so there. I think there's two or three movies in the series now, um, and yes, yeah, sort of sort of based around the Ivan Milat case, um, as well as other ones that happen in Australia. Um, So the case continues to fascinate true crime enthusiasts and amateur sleuths alike. This case also led to changes in police procedures and forensic technology as law enforcement agencies strive to prevent similar cases and bring the uh, people to justice for them. Perhaps most importantly, the Malat case forced Australians to confront some uncomfortable truths about their society, including the prevalence of violence and the treatment of vulnerable groups such as backpackers and foreign nationals. Whilst the case itself now is over two decades old, its impact on Australian culture and identity continues to be felt to this very day. The Ivan Millet has had a very significant impact on the Australian society as a whole, particularly on the way Strains food, backpacking and hitchhiking. Uh so is hitchhiking still a thing in the US as well, or is it sort of no. not really a thing anymore? Not at it's all. It's very anymore. frowned upon. Okay, so not not a big thing. Is
0: it still a thing in Australia?
2: Uh you you will s- still sometimes see uh hitchhikers, but it's very it's very rare over here now. Um I think this sort of case made it a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit more wary for people to do that sort of thing. Um, yeah, It did bring about the hitchhiking downfall in Australia, and I believe there was an extensive wave of serial killers on the US interstate system in the 70s and 80s as well, is that correct? Yes. by doing some research <laughs> that I found. Yeah, that's, um, that
0: was a great way for serial killers to find victims, yeah. just get them in your car.
2: That's right. Um, so here are some of the effects the case had in Australia. There was an increased awareness in, in the dangers of backpacking and hitchhiking. Uh, this case brought to light the potential dangers of backpacking and hitchhiking, especially for young travelers who may meet may be more vulnerable. As a result, many Australians became more aware of the risks associated with these activities and began taking steps to protect themselves. For example, hostels and other accommodation for backpackers began offering safety information and advice, and some travellers chose to travel in groups rather than alone. There were changes to police procedures and forensic technology, Uh, it led to changes In this technology as law enforcement agencies work to prevent similar crimes and bring killers to justice for example the case highlighted the importance of dna evidence and forensic profiling which have since become standard tools in police investigations the case also prompted changes in how police handle missing persons cases and conduct searches in remote areas The Malat case also had a significant impact on Australia's tourism industry as it raised concerns about the safety of foreign visitors. Some potential tourists may have been deterred from visiting Australia during that period, while others may have been more cautious or selective in their travel plans. The Australian government responded by increasing funding for tourist safety measures and launching campaigns to reassure potential visitors about the safety of travel in Australia. This case also prompted Australians to reflect on some rather uncomfortable truths about their society, including the prevalence of violence and the treatment of vulnerable groups, such as backpackers and foreign nationals. The case sparked discussions about issues such as mental illness, poverty and the justice system, and prompted calls for social and political reforms. Some Australians also express concerns about the country's larrikin culture, which values a certain level of rough and tumble behavior and risk-taking. So for you girls and other listeners that might not know, in Australian culture, a larrikin is a term to describe uh, a person who is seen as mischievous, carefree and often a rebellious individual. Uh, Larrikins are often known for their irrelevance towards authority They love uh, practical jokes and their willingness to challenge social norms and conventions. They're often portrayed as lovable rogues who whilst they may cause trouble, they're ultimately harmless and good nature. Uh, Despite their reputation for mischief, larrikins are also admired in Australian culture for their bravery, resilience and loyalty to their mates. They're often seen as embroidering the independent rebellious spirit of Australian characters and often celebrated in literature film and popular culture so i'm not sure if you have heard uh the term larrican before
0: i haven't that's it's fun though
2: yeah so often you'll go oh he's a bit of a larrican or you know you know a bit of a rebellious type sort of person
0: okay that sounds like my kind of people
2: (laughs) (laughs) um so uh, Overall, the Ivan Milat case had a far-reaching impact on the Australian society and culture, leading to changes in attitudes, behaviours and policies. Whilst the case may have had a chilling effect on some travellers, it also spurred important reforms that have made Australia a safer and more just society. During his time in prison, Ivan Milat maintained his innocence and refused to cooperate with police in their investigations of other possible crimes. However, there have been suspicions that he may have been responsible for other unsolved murders and disappearances, both in Australia and overseas. Uh, There was speculation that Ivan Milat may have been involved in another disappearance of a British backpacker, Peter Falconio, in the Northern Territory of 2001. Um, So I'm not sure if you girls know about that story. Mm -hmm. Um, But Peter... Peter and his girlfriend, Joanne Lees, were traveling around Australia and they were stopped in the Northern Territory on a very remote uh, road. And he enticed Peter Falconio out of the car and then shot him. Here, uh, This man also then attempted to abduct Joanne Lees, but then she ran into the bushes and hid. Um, that man was eventually found It wasn't Ivan Milat, and he was sentenced for that crime in 2005. There has been a lot of speculation around that case. It might be one for the future that um, Peter's girlfriend, Joanne, may have had something to do with that murder, as it was very, very suspicious. Mm, Um, Interesting. Yeah. So that story and the Ivan Milat story, I believe, both sort of, comprehend with the movie that i told you about which was called wolf creek okay. um, these two events in australia sort of inspired those movies cool um there's also been suspicions that ivan may have been responsible for other unsolved murders and disappearances in australia including the 1978 disappearances of two nurses of lorraine wilson and wendy evans and the 1980 disappearance of Tony Jones. However, no concrete evidence linking Ivan to those cases has been found. So we've talked about a lot so far, but there is another part to this story, which is quite shocking. Okay. (laughs) So Ivan Millett may have not been directly responsible for this next part but his actions certainly influenced those of his great-nephew, Matthew Millat. So in a heart-wrenching twist, Matthew Millat was also involved in a murder in the Belango State Forest. In 2010, he and a friend, Cohen Klein, lured a 17-year-old boy named David Octoline, I hope I said that properly, to the now infamous forest and attacked him with an ax killing him. Oh my God. The murder was described as copycat killing, directly inspired by the crimes of Ivan Millat. In a haunting parallel to what was once said about his great uncle, one of Matthew Millat's school friends described him in the years prior to the murder as starting to get weird, saying that he just went really quiet as he got older. And this mirrors to this descriptions of Ivan as a recluse and withdrawn man.
0: Wow. Um,
2: Matthew also said that his great uncle uh, inspired him to commit this murder as well after, yeah, interacting with him in prison. Um, So yeah, so during yeah during the trial, it was revealed that Matthew Millet had been obsessed with his great uncle's crimes and had even visited him in prison the court heard that Millette and klein had recorded the murder on a mobile phone and then he had even joked about it afterwards referring to david as a sacrifice to the backpacker murderer oh wow so, yeah like a tribute yeah like a tribute to his great uncle wow so, really really disturbing um Matthew was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 43 years in prison with a non-parole period of 30 years. The murder highlighted the ongoing fascination and notoriety surrounding the Belango State Forest, which has become a dark symbol of the brutal crimes committed by members of the Malat family. Ivan Millett's health deteriorated significantly during his time in prison. And he was eventually diagnosed with esophageal uh, cancer in May of 2019. So, cancer of the throat, I believe. Um, he was transferred from the maximum security Goldburn uh, Correctional Facility to the Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney for treatment, but his condition continued to worsen, and he died on October the 27th, 2019, at the age of 74. His death marked the end of a dark chapter in Australian history, but questions and speculation about his possible involvement in other crimes continue to linger. The full extent of his crimes and his connections to other unsolved cases may never be known. Despite this, the cases helped to make Australia a safer and more just society by highlighting the importance of protecting vulnerable groups, and promoting the use of forensic science in criminal investigations. As we reflect on the details of this case, it is a sobering reminder that evil does exist in the world and we must remain vigilant in our efforts to prevent such atrocities from occurring again. May the memory of the victims of Viva Malat servers a reminder to the importance of justice and the need to always be vigilant in the face of danger. And may we never forget the lives that were lost and the families that were forever changed by the actions of one man. So uh, what do you guys think about that story.
0: I think you did a great job.
1: Excellent job really just an incredible story, and the fact that like it was like a family ordeal is just mind
2: blowing to me. yeah pretty crazy. It's
0: very I interesting think. that he has a similar background to serial killers in the United States coming from poverty and abuse. It doesn't matter what country you live in. Yeah, it's still, still the same kind of background and things lead to the same consequences.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, well, for all of my listeners out there, where can they get a hold of you guys, your podcast? Go ahead and um, and plug it if you like, and we'll, we'll wrap things up. Yeah, Valen, plug us away.
0: All right, we are all the distance of Wisconsin. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, um, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there.
2: Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me, guys. And it's been a real pleasure to have you on the on the uh, Freakier Than Fiction podcast today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. It was great to meet you and to hear your story. Yeah, thank you so much. We've had a lovely time with you. All
2: right. Thanks to Mims and Fallon from the All the Sins of Wisconsin podcast for joining me.
0: All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love.
1: If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at at gmail.com.
0: Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to
2: podcasts. And don't forget, forget, we we love you. you.